Marini's Media. Totally Football Show Summer Special. Today, Revenge of the Sixth. Sevilla win the Europa League once again against their heavy favourites Inter as Conte again fails to win on the continent. Will he have to pay? Or as Eva Benega said, does he already have one? We'll have our thoughts on the game in Cologne. Plus, we'll get some transfer news and superstar teams and Rafa's dreams. We'll have a look at the Champions League final on Sunday. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello listener, it is Saturday morning, 22nd of August and you can bet that the Sevilla anthem is still ringing out around the streets and calles of that fine, fine city. We're joined here on the Tony Football Show Summer Special by Julien Laurent. Hello James, hi everyone. And James Horncastle. Hello. James, you're watching TV at the same time, multitasking. Well, yeah, I want to see what Conte does, whether he's going to blow up or not. Yeah, we've also got um, Raphael Honigstein, uh, who we awoke from his nap in a hotel in Cologne a little bit later on. He'll be on uh, to tell us about Sunday's final. Alvaro Romeo as well. We'll be going big on Seville and the causes of Seville later on. Europa League final, the game 421 days in the making. Let's get this going. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Right then, Friday night, 3-2 win for Sevilla. That's the sixth time they've won this competition. 15th time that a Spanish side has faced a non-Spanish side in a final since 2001. They've won all 15 of those. An emotional scenes at the end there, Julian Lopetegui in tears and, and Monchi being bounced up and down by the Sevilla players. Uh, Inter were the big favourites here. Jules, what happened? Well, to start with, I think it was a fantastic final um, with not just the goals, but I think loads of things happening, loads of things for us to discuss. I was disappointed by Inter Milan, I have to be honest, by Lukaku, by Lautaro Martinez, by Conte's approach to the game and, and Conte's management during the game. His coaching, I thought it took too long to bring on uh, players, especially Arthur Alexis Sanchez. Uh, and for me, Conte has a big responsibility in this defeat. And again, it's, it's another European competition that, that denies him in a way. Uh, but I thought this Sevilla team, I mean, it's just a wonderful team. Eva Banega is a wonderful player, as we've been saying so much. And especially when he takes the making of um, Antonio Conte for his hair transplant, it's even better. Um, but I think overall, Sevilla probably deserves to win. I think they've been the best team in this competition, even, even if against United in the semi-finals, at times they struggle a little bit with the intensity. I still think overall they... They were a fantastic team to watch in this competition. OK, well, let's have a quick uh, check back on how the game unfolded. First off, who had two minutes for the Diego Carlos penalty sweepstake? 
<laughs> what a hat trick <laughs> he's got. He Quarterfinal, semi-final, final. Mm. Really, I mean, there can't be any Impressive. player who's done that before, surely. It's David Luiz. I mean, David Luiz must be at home thinking, how have I not done this? <laughs> but, you know. Yet. Yeah. Yet. So uh, that was Romelu Lukaku bursting upfield after a lovely ball from Barella. And uh, Carlos brings him down and there was the big question about whether he should have been sent off and maybe as has been pointed out if it hadn't been about two minutes into the game he would have gone or maybe the referee felt that the other two players might have covered the goal scoring opportunity Inter's lead didn't last long Luke de Jong uh, equalising with a bullet header uh, from the well the first of a couple of uh, really outstanding headers uh, both from set pieces and here comes the big what happened to Inter's defending question well, I mean, Inter have only conceded two-headed goals in Serie A all season, uh, one in 2020. And I think that was one of the selection choices that was most surprising um, from kickoff, that Luke de Jong uh, got the go-ahead instead of um, Enseri. Um, yes, he scored in the semi-final against uh, Manchester United off the bench, but it seems that Lopetegui, particularly how well Sevilla did from dead ball situations. You know, Benega's delivery, exceptional, more or less all night. It wasn't just De Jong, you know, putting them in front uh, as well as getting them level, but putting them in front with that header from the set piece, which was schoolboy defending from Inter, just the way that um, uh, De Jong was able to run around the back and there was just so passive um, into particularly Gagliardini. Um, and I think there were some other players, you know, that could have scored headed goals. Or Campos, what, just before the uh, the interval as well. Having said that, you know, aside from the set pieces, what other saves did Handanovic have to make? Um, yeah, he didn't. Um, so for me, Sevilla deserved to win into a very flat second half. I agree with Jules that I think Conte uh, waited too long to make his changes. I also thought his body language on the sidelines in the second half, it wasn't what I was expecting after all the fire um, that you saw from him in, what, the first 15 minutes. You just heard him speaking now to Italian TV. What what did he have to say? (laughs) Well, he was saying that he's been on a a wonderful journey with Inter, um, Mm. that he's very thankful for the opportunity that was, uh, was given to him. Um, that he's going to take a couple of days um, and then and then meet the club, um, but you know he's got to decide whether you know what's his priority right now. Is it his family or is it football? Um, because this year has been tough, and he's certainly given the impression that uh, you know working for Inter has had a an impact. And you would you would from what he said, you'd say it's been a negative impact. Um, on his family, um, yeah, be it from the uh, the goldfish bowl that you live in as an Inter manager, be it for all the kind of uh, stress and strain that comes with it. Um, yeah, he seems to have shifted the focus there instead of on, for example, you need to buy me this player, that player. Um, so, I mean, it's been put to him as a kind of um, yeah, follow-up question. It's like, this sounds like goodbye, Antonio. Uh, he's like, you don't know that. You don't know that. Uh, but then again, you know everything, don't you? You know everything, uh, which is when he gradually starts to unravel uh, as, as these interviews enter, what, the ninth or tenth minute. So, James, making those kind of comments at this point, it it does rather suggest that he's preparing to walk away if, if they're not preparing to push him. So what do you think we're going to be seeing in a week or two's time? 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Inter and uh, Conte come to a resolution um, because it's too expensive for Inter to sack Antonio Conte because uh, he's still got two years on a deal that makes him the uh, best paid manager in the league. And th this again goes into that story about Lionel Messi in terms of can Inter afford him. Well, if they can't afford to sack Antonio Conte, then they certainly can't afford Lionel Messi. Um, so I think they'd have to come to some sort of a resolution Everything that Conte said tonight, a lot of it would indicate that, yeah, he is prepared to leave some money on the table and, and, and resign if, if they don't agree on a way forward. And in that, in that case, um, yeah, don't be surprised if it's Massimiliano Allegri who replaces him, as he did um, at Juventus uh, when Conte resigned there as well. And he was chosen by um, Juventus' chief executive at the time, Beppe Marotta, who is now... Inter's chief executive, um, it would be a very straightforward and easy uh, replacement job, I think, at this late juncture. Uh, Max has shown, as he did what in 2014, that you know he can come in just on the eve of pre-season or even when pre-season started and uh, establish himself at a big club. So you know, at the moment, it does look like Inter will be looking for a for a new manager uh, rather than retaining Conte. I think. There's still a slight chance that he would stay, but you know, given given his mood and his demeanour and everything he said tonight, it it seems like uh, thanks for the opportunity, but maybe we should just maybe it's best if we if we if we walk away. Jules was asking one or two questions about his substitutions. One thing that I think was especially disappointing uh, after the semi-final performance was the kind of total absence of Lautaro Martinez and any kind of link-up between him and Lukaku in the game. Was that Sevilla's excellent defending? Was it an off night? What, what happened to those two? I think uh, the front two got very little service all night. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, they can't create things uh, themselves. They have done it occasionally this season, but they need help uh, from, from the midfield. And I thought the midfield was kind of totally absent, particularly once uh, Barella got booked um, at the end of the first half. Too often, um, Sevilla were able to direct Inter's build-up play to Gagliardini. Gagliardini's not a passer, he's not a playmaker. Um, and also, I thought the wing-backs um, that Inter have uh, were almost too preoccupied by uh, the thought of what Reguillon and Jesus Navas, particularly Navas in the first half, caused Ashley Young um, and that Inter uh, left-hand side, all kinds of problems. And, and so all the things that usually click for Inter, all the mechanisms that are kind of crucial to getting Lautaro and, and Lukaku into the game, they kind of stopped working, I would say, after, what, 40 minutes. And in the second half, they, 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 they never got really started. Mm. Severe, by contrast, looking far more composed. It was Godin who'd equalised, made it 2-2 for Inter. But then, and again, a set-piece, Jules, Diego Carlos with that, with that bicycle kick, which then goes in off uh, Lukaku. Yes, that's right. For me, it's, uh, I know the goal was given to, to Diego Carlos, who was certainly uh, the main protagonist of the game tonight, but uh, it looked to me like the, 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 the overhead kick was going off target and that is Lukaku scores an own goal, which again, considering he missed a chance just before that as well uh, and was quite quiet, to be fair. I don't know if we, if we should be disappointed or not. He's had a wonderful season. He scored 34 goals, as many as Ronaldo in his first season at the club. He's done some really good stuff. I think he's improved. I think he's, 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 uh, he's fitter, he's leaner. He certainly works better with another striker next to him instead of on his own up front like he was at Manchester United. 
But in the big games tonight, I really expected more from him. And maybe it's the end of a very, very long season and and he's played a lot because he was he was the main guy for them anyway. So didn't have much time to rotate or could not much rotate or I don't know. But I'm a bit disappointed tonight. And it's, I don't know if it's if it's the two sides of Romero Lukaku that we've seen capable of great things, but also in some of the big games disappearing a bit and missing the, the key chance that certainly if he scores before Diego Carlos, the game is over and Inter win. And he misses that chance. So I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh with him because I still think he's improving and he's still young enough to continue improving and becoming really one of the best in the world. But I was with Roberto Martinez the other day and he said on CBS, oh, Lukaku is a better striker than Lewandowski. And I was like, I think a lot of people looked and said, like, really? And I think tonight you have to be disappointed. Wow. I'm sure Inter are. One man who's not, though, is Alvaro Romeo. Wow. Once again, Sevilla, the underdogs, once again... They bring it home. Remarkable stuff. Uh, is there an easy answer if I say to you, what's their secret? Mm, no, I think I think there is not. There is not because uh, there is uh, a lot of good work done, uh, especially when it comes to scouting. There is uh, a harsh demand on managers and players by the fans uh, that uh, definitely makes Sevilla try to take it to the next level every season. Let's don't forget that uh, Julian Lopetegui was under heavy questioning back in February uh, after drawing against Cluj and almost uh, getting knocked out from Europa League. And I think that there is a little bit of um, good luck when it comes to the big moments. Uh, all that together makes Sevilla a very competitive uh, team in the Europa League. And they have won six Europa Leagues in, the, in this century, which is astonishing, really. And uh, they seem to have a know-how as well to win the finals. Uh, today, they didn't, they didn't get nervous, uh, despite uh, having to face a terrific opposition, at least at times. I mean, uh, the goal of Romelu Lukaku after five minutes uh, would have uh, knocked out many football teams because, uh, you know, Inter seemed to, to be strong. Uh, they were uh, perhaps slightly favourites on paper, um, considering that uh, they have done very well at times in Serie A this season. And uh, at some point, they were challenging for the Serie A title with Juventus, but Sevilla has the composure. And in the second half, I think in the first half, they were very good, very good. And uh, De Jong was uh, a surprising addition to this Sevilla story with uh, two goals in the final, with another goal in the semifinal. And then in the second half, they played with the composure of a very big team, a team with a new manager, and they still managed to win a title. It's really remarkable. It, it absolutely is. It, it's not a big club. They don't have success in other areas, really. Do they have of their season? It's just the Europa League all the time. Yeah, well, I think that they they have been very good in the league, but uh, they've never been good enough to challenge for the league title. I mean, uh, they finished third in 2006-2007, but still far away from Real Madrid, who was the, eventually the league winner. Mm, but... Uh, I would say that uh, they they know what they are doing, really. I mean, uh, how many football players go to Sevilla and they find an environment to bring their best football back? I mean, I'm thinking about so many, like, for example, Samir Nasri, and Jules knows about it. I mean, the first six months uh, he did in Sevilla were astonishing, and it has happened with so many players. It brings back the best of uh, footballers that seem to be gone for football. I don't know, Fernando could be one of them, for example. Alvaro, will they be able to build on this, on the good finish in the league this year and now the, this cup and, and, and not have to lose so many players this time around? Is there any chance that Eva Benega will decide to stay on? 
no, Vanega is leaving, unfortunately. And uh, I think that his decision is uh, 100% sure he will be leaving to Saudi Arabia. And it's a real shame because he, in my opinion, he's the the most technically gifted uh, midfielder that the Europa League had. And uh, Sevilla benefited a lot from Vanega's performance. And I don't think that um, Sevilla will lose many players this summer because uh, this summer is going to be a little bit different. Uh, there is less cash around and some of uh, the good Sevilla players, they've got still contracts until 2023, 2024. So maybe this summer it's a bit more unlikely that Sevilla loses players. And I think that uh, this project still has uh, some more steps to do. Uh, hopefully next season in the Champions League, Sevilla can pass the threshold of the quarterfinals. They've never done it. The Atletico managed to be third, and I think that Sevilla genuinely can be third next season if they build up on what they have. Alvaro Romeo. The fact that Sevilla have been in the final so many times, I wonder if that played a part in, in how well they were able to, to govern the game. But we should as well salute Luke de Young. I know James was saying poor defending the way he was able to run around the back, but that, that second header was a bit extraordinary. It was fantastic. And I really didn't think he would score, especially against a keeper like like Andanovic. But what a header, fantastic. Um, it's just, it's not everybody's cup of tea. And, and I understand that he's, the guy's got no pace. I mean, even technically, he's not that gifted. If you compare it with Lautaro, by, for example, who's by far a better footballer. But when he gets the right service, like against United, and again, like against tonight, and he doesn't take much for Jesus Navas, good cross, or regular good cross, or... Banega said peace but he's always in the right position his movement in the box is perfect his timing is perfect and even if he's held by some poor defending I mean the first goal I'm sorry but you've had your video analysis session and you saw the game against Manchester United this is exactly it's almost the same goal it's almost the same goal that he scored against United that he scored again tonight I don't know how you cannot defend how you cannot be prepared for that but you can't take anything away from the young and, and a performance like this when He's been in and out of the team all season because he's not a prolific goal scorer. And, and often for the movement and for the mobility, El Naziri was preferred to him by Lopetegui. And I think rightly so, like we saw in the semi-final. But what an impact he can have when the service is right is fantastic. Mm. Just on the subject of the scale of Sevilla uh, compared to some of the bigger clubs and indeed Inter, who they were playing uh, this evening. Inter earn 200 million euros more in revenue than Sevilla per season. This is by Swiss Rambles calculations. They have a wage bill that's 85% higher uh, than the Spanish side. But, but you know, if, if, if it would be easy to say, for example, oh, go, let's go and get Monchi at your club and it will do a difference. And then well, it, Roma tried went that. To Roma. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's funny how... They're still how, trying to repair the damage. Yeah. So I don't know if it was... I don't think it would have been only Monchi's fault. I guess maybe James Palota, maybe the way the club was working. I don't know. There, there could be a lot of reason why, but it's quite fascinating to see how the guy could be such a genius when he's, when he's in Andalusia. And then as soon as he leaves Andalusia, he becomes an absolute clown. And I just don't know. It's, it's quite incredible. James, any final thoughts on the game, despite the eruptions that are happening in Inter? Did you enjoy it? The first half was one of the best finals um, that I've seen in a long, long time. Um, just because it felt like a kind of uh, cliched Copa Libertadores game in that um, it, it felt like it could go off at uh, any moment, particularly the first 15 minutes, I thought uh, the referee let a few things go. You know, Jules mentioned that he didn't send off Diego Carlos after five minutes, but I think that needle and the goals flying in uh, just made it kind of so exciting. I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for the Champions League final maybe to live up to that. So uh, 
We'll have to see. Although now that I've said that, it's going to be Paris 5, Bayern Munich 3. Isn't it, Jules? <laughs> I hope so, James. I would love you forever if that was the final score. That's for sure. I just want, just to finish on, I think we need to give more love to Eva Banega and the, the incident with Antonio Conte on the touchline because I think in a, in a European Cup final, for a player to go to the opposition manager and to like... <laughs> Yeah, take the mic out of his hair transplant and his, his wig. Or, I mean, whatever exactly Eva Banega wants to say. And then for the manager to respond and to say, I'll wait for you outside after the... I mean, this is just, this is just stuff that you could not make up. And I think we, we, we need to show that a bit of love. Did he talk about that on Italian TV at all, James? <laughs> no, because he's still yet to go outside uh, uh-huh. and, uh, and confront Banega, as he said. Um, that, I mean, that was something that actually Sky Italia confirmed because they actually used their sideline reporters to basically earwig on, on, what's, uh, on what the coaches are saying. And, and yeah, that's where the I'll see you outside Banega <laughs> came from, which is just brilliant. Um, <laughs> Who would win in a fight between Banega and Conte? Yeah, you I think, think Conte Banega is the type to have his mate around the corner. And if he's in trouble, you know, if he starts the fight and then see that, then they come over and they just smash Conte, the four or five of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the parameters of this Please, contest are. Conte, Conte, I think, is in better shape than Eva Banega. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's ripped. That's, for, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we are all in better shape than ever Banega, to be fair. <laughs> I'm not. Anyway, well, will Sunday's final live up to the drama that we saw in Cologne? We'll be discussing that very, very shortly. Uh, first of all, though, other bits of news after this. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Big news in Italy. James Horncastle, La Spezia, have given Liguria a third team in the top flight. These the crazy scenes. As uh, down the road from Portofino, the fans celebrated their arrival in Serie A. How exciting is it going to be having three derbies now? Well, uh, yeah, a friend of mine who supports Genoa says that yeah, in Spezia they're proud of, of not being in Liguria and are not being in, in Tuscany. Well, they are, kind of technically. They're, right. they're Ligurian, but right. they, they kind of treat themselves as, as something apart. Mm. And, and, and they've taken, Genoa fans have taken no small kind of delight out of the fact that um, Spezia will probably have to play their games not in Liguria or Tuscany, but in in, uh, in Cesena <laughs> because, well, because the, the sa- ground won't probably get a license to play in right. Serie because it's too small and oh. they can't play at Marassi where Genoa right. and Sampdoria play because every other weekend one or Genoa and Samp is playing so, so yeah, they'll probably have to play what 300 kilometres across the across. The but there's coast. nowhere else available that's extraordinary <laughs> But I mean, it's it's a great story in so far as uh, yeah they, they've never played in Serie A before, although they have won a scudetto, 
Um, but was it this spezia or was it the Vigili di Fuoco? Yeah, it's um, the Farmans. It's the, fi- the Farmans. <laughs> the Farmans League. <laughs> exactly. So um, they won it in 1944. It's, uh, mm. so, uh, but this, they've got this manager, James, Vincenzo Italiano, who was born in Karlsruhe in Germany. Um, it's like a reverse Domenico Tedesco. And he has uh, he's won th- three promotions in in three years with three different clubs back to back, and you know he might not be sticking around at Spezia because he wants to get involved in the churn that is Genoa. <laughs> well, he he might be spat out the other end uh, very soon. Uh, best of luck to him and to La Spezia. And it's going to be interesting to see how they get on uh, from Cesena. Uh, meantime. Jules, the French season has got underway with a goalless draw. Yeah, two shots on target. Hooray! <laughs> Bodo Nantes. Uh, any further word on COVID and all that sort of disruption for Marseille and, and other teams? Yes, unfortunately, more, more positive cases emerged today. I think we're up to eight clubs now with at least one player. Uh, Monaco, Nice today on top of uh, Montpellier, for example, Marseille, who have five players. And... Uh, the, the protocol in France, which is quite strict, stricter than the ones in the, that happened in Premier League when they restarted the league, for example, says that if you've got more than three players, then your game has to be postponed, which I think a lot of managers and a lot of clubs in France are not in agreement with. They think that if you've got three positive players, then they can go in self-isolation. You test the other ones. It's like if you had three injured players, you can still play. You have enough players in your squad to, to play. It's not like if you were without 15 players and that you should not postpone the game, but still play it with a weakened side, but still play it and, and, and get on with it, really. So it's, it's, it's quite tense, to be honest. Mm. Um, at, at the start, there's some people who are very pessimistic and that they don't think... Uh, they think there will be more issues and more problems, more games postponed in already why it's a very tight schedule. So that could cause chaos. So we'll have to see, but it's certainly not the the restart or the start that they wanted. All right. They're not going to call this season off as well, are they? I don't think so. I don't think it would be that bad. But imagine if there's you know, three, four, five, six games postponed in the next three weekends, for example. This would have really bad consequences because, again, it's such a tight season you don't have many free uh, days or windows to play those postponed matches so it would it could be really crazy uh five uh, positive tests for atletico madrid's players in the women's champions league uh, they hadn't been able to train as a result they were all confined to their rooms uh, prior to their quarterfinal against barcelona on friday which they lost 1-0 the other game on friday saw wolfsburg taking on glasgow city and beating them 9-1. They'll be taking on Barcelona in the semi-finals. More to come on Saturday as Arsenal take on PSG and uh, Leon take on Bayern. Leon, the massive favourites, as per usual. Uh, in other news, uh, what's this we read about Thiago Silva joining Chelsea, Jules? Yeah, Chelsea are one of the clubs who are really keen on Thiago Silva, who've made contact. Um, I, I was told that he was not that advanced in the talks. I think they're far more advanced at Fiorentina, for example, where he's already agreed pretty much personal terms. And I think he really likes the idea of going back to Italy more maybe than going to England. That doesn't mean he, he, he's not going to sign for Chelsea. I just think that they're a bit behind. I think there's still hope in Thiago Silva's head that maybe his very good performances in the Champions League could sort of make PSG giving him a new deal now, which they didn't do a few months ago. But that could change maybe in Leonardo. So this one is, is to follow as well. I just think he's 35. So of course, he's, 
he's not getting any younger. He still has a lot to offer. He's such a good guy, such a good professional as well that whoever signs him, I think would be quite lucky because I still think that he have enough in him to, to have an, another two very good seasons. Okay. But you think Fiorentina are, are ahead? Yeah, that's what I was told. I was told that they were, they were ahead in the, in the sense that they've already agreed personal terms with him. He would come on a free. So then I think it would be just down to him to decide what kind of project he wants to, to take on, where he wants to go, which country. And I, and I still believe that if PSG were to offer him a one plus one a year deal, for example, I think he would, he would love to stay in Paris. Mm. Well, maybe if he does a job on Sunday. Who knows, eh? Also, I'm seeing reports from Julian Laurence that discussions have begun between Arsenal and Lyon for the transfer of Hussein Moir. That would be exciting for Arsenal. That would be. So it's a hard deal to make because he's expensive now, especially after how well he's played in the Champions League and Lyon won between 50 and 60 million euros. And I don't think Arsenal don't have that kind of money right now, I think, for at least for, for that position. So they would try to look for another way of maybe signing him. The problem is Juventus are very keen as well. And I think Andrea Pirlo in, his, in the overhaul of his squads and the rebuild of his midfield, especially really likes the idea of having Usama Awar there. I think Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, who's been a, 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 a fan. Jules, will also... they take uh, Bernadeschi in exchange? Will they take Gonzalo Higuain in <laughs> Higuain. exchange? Because there's Higuain. no way Juventus have 50 million euros swimming around uh, to, to pay for Usama Awar. The only way they'd be able to do that deal is basically package up a load of guys and basically say, here, take him, please, please take him. And we don't, it's cash neutral, this deal. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay. Brilliant. We can do it. I think that could, you know, that could potentially interest Lyon again, depending on what players. But I think the issue might more be for the players themselves to go from Juventus to Lyon. I, you know, I'm not sure a Douglas Costa, for example, for the sake of him, wanting to, to go to Lyon after spending. Turin and Lyon on that, on that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you know, across the Alps on the old train, isn't it? I mean, the Champions League yeah, semi-finals. You take the tunnel and you're there. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, more on that when we know more. And next up on this show, let's have a look at the Champions League final. You're listening to the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. So... 11th of June 2019, it began. Ferroni Kelly against Lincoln Red Inn. Now, 79 teams from 54 countries later, we're down to just two, Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich, in the last and most important game of this men's football season. Woo! Jules, how's the mood in France? It's very positive. I think the players are quite positive as well. I think they see this game as a really 50-50 game that they have a chance to win. It's only in France, it's the same. It's not like, I would say the usual, but it's not the usual, but often when we've reached a Champions League final, there was always a sense that it was the step too high. Even Monaco against Porto and Mourinho, I think Monaco thought, there was always, it's very French to already start a game like this, certainly at club level, where you, you already think that it's going to be hard to win this one. Uh, but I don't think that's the case for, for, for Sunday. And, and we saw how much he meant to the players to have qualified. And it certainly meant more for them than for Bayern Munich when you see both reactions. But, but I think they, they believe very much that they can do it. And they believe it's their year. And it's written somewhere that on their 50th anniversary year that they can finally get there. But they also know it would be a really, really tough game. That A bit like we saw tonight 
will be won or lost on, on small margin. All right. Well, meanwhile, as I mentioned, Raphael Honigstein is currently in Germany, in Cologne, and we disturbed him a little bit earlier on today to ask him how the mood was in, in Germany. Well, I think the Bayern are seen as, as favourites to win the competition, but there is also a lot of talk about all the things that we have mentioned, James, uh, mm. when we last spoke, which is the uh, inherent risk in Bayern's setup. Will they change? If yes, how much will they change? If no, how beneficial will it be for PSG if Bayern don't change? I think that is the interesting, yeah, that is the interesting debate, combined with the fact that I think that some people I think still seem to believe that because Bayern have been getting the results and you know haven't really been challenged by anyone, it'll just be obvious that they can go on to win this, but. I think that they themselves and in Munich, in Munich itself, uh, within the team, they are much more aware of the danger that PSG will will cause than perhaps in the in the wider public. Mm. Looking back over Hansi Flick's season with Bayern, have there been other occasions where he's taken a less uh, bold approach? Not really. I think Bayern have played every single game the same way. Dortmund pushed them back quite a lot. They didn't get much of the ball against against them in the opening spells. They had problems in counter-attack against Gladbach and Leverkusen back in December, the two games that they lost, and of course the Leipzig game that they couldn't win, the only game that they haven't won in 2020. But I think it'd be difficult to say that he has in some way really changed or modified the system in, in, in bigger games. It's It's been mostly one-way traffic. And again, the question is, how will Bayern react? Not just if they come under pressure, but also perhaps if they go behind. Because this is, again, something that the club or the team has almost no experience in because they've been so dominant. Can they you know, cope with, with someone actually standing up and giving them a really hard time? We, we just haven't seen it from, from the Bayern team because it wasn't necessary in, in, in recent months. Just 22 minutes in the whole of this year so far they've been behind in. It's been an extraordinary campaign, record-breaking in the sense that they've won every single Champions League match that they played, even before Hansi Flick took over. How upsetting would it be if the one game they lost was this one? It'd be very upsetting, of course. It always depends how you lose. Um, if it's you know upsetting to the point of being traumatic or you just happen to have a team that's better than you, as was the case against Inter in 2010 in the final, where they were just outplayed by an but of course, all those lovely results that run, those records, I don't want to say count for nothing, but will ultimately just be a footnote if they don't go on to win this. So there is real pressure, as there always is at a club like Bayern, to see this through mm. and not to just be satisfied and happy with how far they've come. And not just for Bayern. Have you considered the fact that you'll never be able to mock PSG again or Ligue 1, never... Never probably be able to be in a room with Jules again if Bayern lose to PSG. Well, I trust Jules, if you were to win, to win in good grace and uh, and be not triumphant at all and respect the feelings of the of the losing side as he, as he often does um, and uh, don't bring it up too often, uh, just like his reaction after France's World Cup, which he hardly ever mentioned really mm. uh, when they won it. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed.
I imagine he'll, he'll mention the defeat uh, as infrequently as you do a PSG's many misadventures on the European stage. Rafa, one last thing then. Knowing what you know about PSG, if Hansi Flick sprained his ankle on the way to the stadium and they had called on you to manage Bayern for the game, it's a scenario we both dreamt of, what would you do? How would you set them up against the Parisians? I think those dreams usually involve being on the pitch suddenly, that Bayern have no players and they need to play me. Right. Where would you play? Um, I, I don't know. I'd play anywhere he, Hansi Flick would want me to, obviously. But it's your dream, Rafa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's yet to, yet to happen. But if you were just to ask me for advice, I'd say, look, you, you probably can't change too much, but just maybe pick your moments a bit. Uh, mm. Don't go and push all the way. Try to be a little bit more focused and more choosy in, in those moments where you push and, and, and press all the way. Just uh, Otherwise, I think it would be just too dangerous. Um, and I'm sure that he doesn't need me to know that. I think that within the team... There are enough players to think the same way and that will see a more balanced by Munich side on the whole, I think, on Sunday night. OK, excellent. Rafa, enjoy the game this evening. Thank you, James. Rafa Honigstein in Germany. It, it, it certainly shapes up like an interesting game, this one. Two attacking teams, loads of big stars who can score loads of goals. Neymar, of course, with 19 goals and Mbappe with 23 this season. But here's a stat. Robert Lewandowski has scored more than the two of them put together. Wow, Jules. Yeah, it's quite scary. I mean, if you look at the numbers that Bayern Munich have put in the Champions League this season, Gnabry and Lewandowski have scored 24 between the two of them, which is one more than the whole PSG team through the whole campaign. So it's pretty remarkable and, and, and incredible. I think they, are, they have the best squad in Europe this season. I think these are the two best teams that we've seen in the Champions League this season as well. I don't think there's any other team from what we've seen them play and the performance that have been better than those two. So it should be a great, should be a great final, really. And again... We can discuss the high line and how they will play and if Icardi comes back for PSG or if you keep your 4-3-3 formation and the weaknesses and the, the strength of, of both sides. And I just think they both they both have qualities and they both have flaws. But again, he would be played on either a moment of pure magic or, as we said, thin margin, a little mistake there, a set piece somewhere there. It'd be very interesting. Or could one team rush into a 3-0 lead and then lose 4-3? Is, is that shut up <laughs> I know what you're saying now. you're trolling me already before we're not even there no, we're no, like, no Jules Jules you know I, I, I don't know why people aren't talking about Angel Di Maria more you know as, as, as being this, the straw that stirs the drink at, at PSG you know he's the he's the olive in the martini right now I mean he's I, I thought when he came back into the team uh, in the semi-final uh, I mean, PSG kind of clicked anyway against Atalanta and, and should have won that game by three or four goals. For me, Di Maria just balances this side. Um, and yeah, I don't think... Uh, I've gone from being very confident about Bayern to just thinking, oh, a better team with uh, the arsenal of weapons that PSG have got uh, against, that, uh, against that back line. They haven't come up against it yet. Hmm. Juan Bernat, who scored in the semi-final, of course, played for Bayern Munich, publicly blamed for an earlier Champions League exit by Uli Hoeneß in, in no uncertain terms. Dass du den Juan Bernat so verherrlichst. 
das, das Wohl und Wehe des FC Bayern hängt davon ab, dass wir Juan Bernat nach Paris. It's really rare that you would find a, a club director calling out one of his own players in such brutal fashion. I, I imagine he's going to be a little bit fired up for this game, is he? Completely, and, and rightly so as well, because he's a very, very nice guy, and the way he was targeted by Bahonus was really strange. And the, the good thing about this final, apart from the fact that they're two great teams, as we explained, blah, 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 but it's also all the narratives, because you're right, Bernard playing against his former club with that sort of mentality of almost wanting revenge kind of thing. Kingsley Coman playing against his former club, against his former teammate in, in Presnel Kimpembe, who they've been playing with each other at PSG since they were the age of 11, all the way until they were 19, then before Coman left to go to Juventus. So everywhere you've got, you've got stories of players who've played with each other or played against each other, or played in the, form, in the club before. And I, and I just think, you know, for Kerrer as well and, and Draxler, I guess, and Thomas Tuchel, of course, to play against the German side and see Flick for his first Champions League final. I think it's only the fourth time in history that the two managers in the final are both the, the, the same nationality. So I think it's, it, that's also very special. So I think there's so many narratives mm. in that final that it makes it even more special. Jules, they've been to 10 finals by Munich. They've won five of them. PSG have been to none and won none. How big an advantage is that for the Germans? I think I think it is. I think it is. You know, I think this is and it's very much the German mentality as well. And I don't want to to go too much onto the reaction after the both the two semifinals. Mm. One were overly celebrating, the other one was just like, "This is this is what we do." We haven't won anything yet We're for finals, anyway. Yeah, um, but but I think that's that's the really the mentality of of those German players. They they're very clinical, very efficient. There's not many emotions. And Thomas Tuchel as a manager is very much like that as well. PSG is very different. You've got loads of Brazilians who have a lot of emotions, who express a lot more than, than maybe some of the Bayern Munich players. So I think the experience will maybe play a part. Uh, at PSG, you only have Di Maria and Neymar who've won it before in, in 14 and 15. So that's already a long time ago. I guess Kylian Mbappé winning the, the World Cup, for example, that kind of experience will, will be beneficial for him. Kimpembe as well. But uh, Navas also won the Champions League. But... So, it's, so you, it's, you've just named a lot of players no, no, who've got no, no, winning but, experience at the very highest okay, level. Maybe not, okay, maybe not. Maybe maybe you won't. No, but I think it's 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 good to debunk it because you know. Um, I mean, as a club, you know, w- without that kind of um, Champions League winning DNA, I suppose. But you're right, Jules. When you list that group of players, they have assembled guys who've won everything. Uh, you know, for, for for the most part, and you know the Brazilians—they are emotional, but they play for probably one of the most high-pressure national teams that you could ever ever think of playing for, as as well. So, you know, I I I think it's it's one of the, it's if anything with PSG, it's one of those kind of weird intangibles about what is it about PSG that that has up until now stopped them uh, making good on their potential in this competition. Um, and the thing is, we're actually seeing them make good on their potential in this competition this season. Is that because, from what I can tell, everyone seems to get on really well. They they love going out with each other to Marco Verratti's restaurant in Paris. Um, they hang out together. They, they, they don't seem to have any beef with anyone. I like the vibe this PSG team have got at the moment. They just seem to have, it seems to all knit together quite. Apparently, Kayla Navas, for example, has been a sort of his... His influence, apparently he's been a quite stabilising guy to, to, to have around. 
Um, I think that also just, it's not just character, it's that, the fact that he's a better goalkeeper than Kevin Trapdoor was. I mean, so, so, so I think there's a lot of good things going for PSG. It is far more of a team than he's ever been before. They have this pact about it that they made together in that restaurant, in that, that piece of work for ESPN, trying to explain it and during lockdown as well, which they didn't have that before. And, and just to finish on that very quickly, I think Kylian Mbappé summed it up so well after the Lapsi game. He said, Neymar and I realised at some point that we could not do this on our own. And unless you're Messi, even Cristiano could not do it on his own. He, you know, without Benzema, I'm not sure he would have won and scored as many goals as he did. So really, I think even the realisation from Mbappé and Neymar to say like, hang on, we need, we need to be a group. We need to be united. I need the other ones around us to be good. Otherwise, we will never get there. And I think just that was, has made a massive difference. Well, we'll see how much of a difference it's made on Sunday. We'll have a couple of other thoughts about the PSG Bayern clash in a second or two, but first of all, here's Lee Price. Hello, Champions League final. We've heard compelling cases made for both sides, but our traders aren't convinced. They're still heavily back in Bayern to win this. They're 10 to 11 to win the match and 1 to 2 to lift the trophy. That's pretty one sided. PSG, on the other hand, are priced at 23 to 10 to win it in 90 minutes or 6 to 4 to win the Champions League, regardless of methods. Either way, it should have all the ingredients for classic and you can't reference cooking things without bringing in certain Serge Nabry. The semi-final hero is 7-5 to five to score in the final for Bayern. A penny for Tony Pulis' thoughts. However, the most likely person on the pitch to score is his teammate, Robert Lewandowski, who is odds-on to notch, while Kylian Mbappe and Neymar are both priced at 13-10 to 10 to score any time. That's some attacking talent, isn't it? Uh, so I'll give you the obvious odds relating to that. Nil-nil after 90 minutes is 22 to 1. That's a really long price and I'm actually kind of tempted. No one else appears to be and with good reason. It's 1 to 3 that both teams score here. As for me, I'm off for my summer break. Don't miss me too much. But I'll be back in approximately four hours for the new season pods. See you then. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, one thing we haven't touched on yet is Serge Gnabry's moustache, which I think a lot of people will have been struck by. His hair's grown out and he's wearing that tash. And it is an unusual bit of uh, facial adornment for a footballer these days. But when a footballer wears a moustache and rocks it, it's one of the most effective things they can do, I would suggest. Your mind probably goes back to, of course... Liverpool teams of the 70s, but also the likes of Van Petta, a <laughs> style yes. icon. Yeah, Van Petta. PSG player, former PSG player. Well, absolutely. Raymond Dominic as well, you know? Raymond, Raymond Dominic, Dominic, yeah, to, I believe yeah, he used course. to. Do you know, it's funny because totallyfootballshow.com ran on Friday, and it's obviously still there, a very special and in no way borrowed from a question of sport uh, test where you had to identify the players from their moustache. I got 7 out of 10. I was pretty happy with that, I've got to tell you. I was like Beppe Bedgomis when he was a, yes. what, a teenager at the 1982 mm. World Cup. And then there's that guy, Abe van der Ban, who, he must be a fictional character um, because his moustache, I'm going to drop this on WhatsApp to you because it's, it's astounding. Just while you're doing that, a lot of the Dutch of the 90s, your, your Hulits, your... Yeah, Frank Rijkaard, they, they rocked a massage. But as I say, it's something you just don't see uh, anymore, or at least uh, 
Not too much, and that's why it was so extra jeepers, creepers. Uh, this picture of Abe Van der Ban has just come through. Where on earth did you find this fellow? He looks I like he could take off with those things. Tony Koibafi, I put that in, and that's what came out. But wow. You, you know, you, the, be, the best moustache had to be Adil Rami at the uh, 2018 World Cup with France. Do you remember the one that like hipsters wear where he, he has like a little turn at the top? And you know, you know the famous... You know the famous joke when after the game the Croatian prime minister comes down to the to the dressing rooms with Macron with the French president Macron to to say well done to the French players and she gets to Rami and who didn't play a single second in the whole competition but anyway and she said oh I love your mustache and Rami said oh thank you very much and he looks at her and said I love Mykonos thinking that Mykonos was in Croatia I mean this I think this sums Adil Rami so well what happens in Mykonos uh, goes to Syros, does it now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you know what? Uh, we could talk about mustachio players all night, but I don't think producer Charlie would thank us for that. So let's wrap it up there. It's been a delight to hear from you today, Jules and James. Lovely to be here, James. Thank you, James. We thank uh, Rafael Honestein and uh, Alvaro Romeo as well for their participation. Listener, uh, thank you for being along. And we'll be back not on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning with our review of the Champions League final. The uh, last edition, it'll be, of this Totally Football Show summer special. So (laughs) make sure you join us for that. And now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.